Welcome to African Theological Scholarship Podcast, where scholars of African Christianity and theology discuss their research. Your host is Harvey Quiani, professor of African theology at Liverpool Hope University. Here's today's episode. Hello, Kiyama. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How is Nairobi? Nairobi is good. Yeah. Uh, let me let you introduce yourself. Yeah. So um, my my name my name is Kiama Mogambi, but uh, if I'm introducing myself in a, a in a meeting among Africans, and I know not everyone in the in the, the our audience will spread beyond Africa, I would say I am Bogo Kiama Bigai, Wanduegawa Kanywa, Wa Mogambi. That's all in all. I some like seven names. Uh, right there that sort of locate me exactly where <laughs> I come from. Um, but yeah, I'm Kema, Kema Mugambi. I, uh, I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a father. Uh, I'm a teacher. Uh, and, and, and I'm a pastor uh, from, from, you know, from a background of Anglican, uh, being, being an Anglican, but uh, now uh, in a charismatic uh, Pentecostal uh, community, uh, and someone will say, "Well, but this seems like there's a contradiction." Uh, in this part of the world, there's no contradiction. Uh, in this part of the world, uh, the the two go very well together. Okay. Uh, yeah, and so and so that's 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 me. A little bit about my family. You know, I'm married. You have three children, um, and I have I have five siblings. And uh, my my parents are teachers, mm-hmm. and you know as it goes, you know in our in our continent, um, you know my dad my dad is is a teacher, my mom is a teacher, in fact my my dad is a theologian, and some some of the audience may have read uh, read him, uh, J N K Mugambi, uh, his. Most people know him for for one of three things. Uh, you know, uh, first of all, he was known for uh, theology in Africa, theology and African culture, uh, which is which was a primary area of his concern in the 1970s and the and the 1980s. Uh, his interestingly, his uh, his uh, PhD was actually not in African uh, African. Uh, Christianity's PhD was was in philosophy, and yeah. so he he read Wittgenstein. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but uh, but uh, those were tools that he used, and he was in the re- philosophy and religious studies department. He used those tools uh, to help begin to open up uh, the conversation about about uh, African Christ- uh, Africa, African culture, and Christianity. That's the first thing he's known known for in the late 1980s. Mid to late 1980s, into the 1990s, uh, he came to be known for uh, the theology of reconstruction, uh, together with a number of other uh, other authors. Some, some some of whom were his students, some of whom were his uh, uh, contemporaries and and colleagues. And then more recently, uh, you know, one of the areas that he focused. On which was a major area in his uh, reflections on theology of reconstruction is in uh, um, in theology uh, theology and environment um, in the African context, and so that's something that he also 
looked looked into. He was an he's an ecumenist, uh, you know, very concerned about uh, how the different traditions come together. Even though he's an avowed Anglican, um, and so that's something that has somehow spoken into my life in one way or another. So that's that's the heritage that I come from. And like I like to say, my my dad has has big shoes. And, uh, you know, it's intimidating just having a conversation about, uh, you know, about theology and about African Christianity, people looking over my shoulder to see my dad. <laughs> and we had a conversation once with him and said, you know, your, your shoes are very big for me to fit into. And he said, you don't have to fit in my shoes, just find your own shoes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so that was a very gracious way, you know, a few years ago uh, of uh, his blessing me into, into what what I've been doing. And I, I feel that he has really just given me a push uh, in many, many ways. Mm. And, and how about your PhD work? <laughs> I had been thinking for a long time. I, I did my, my master's in the, in the early 2000s after, you know, getting into church work. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, I, I was very interested in the church and, and uh, aspects of, of the urban church. What, uh, what uh, the church is becoming today, you know, looking at Philip Jenkins and Todd Johnson sure. um, and, and others who are watching closely what's going on with Christianity around the world, uh, asking myself, what, what are some of the elements of this African urban Christianity? And the one that I settled on uh, was, uh, was leadership uh, for purposes of, of, of a PhD. And so I studied uh, I, I wanted to bring two strands uh, of, of, uh, of, of my background. One strand is uh, church work, um, you know, having studied and worked in church uh, and being a pastor within a church. And then the other strand that I wanted to, uh, to bring together was, was a strand of, of leadership and the management and sciences, which I had, which I had studied. And so, my, I wrote my PhD thesis uh, on on uh, leadership development in uh, in uh, Pentecostal churches, a particular kind of Pentecostal church known as the Progressive Pentecostal Church, which is progressive not because of its theology, but really um, progressive because of its praxis. Uh, and so that's what my PhD. That's what my PhD study was. I did it at the Center for World Christianity. Mm-hmm. at Africa International University. And uh, it's one of very few centers on the continent that actually reflect on, uh, on world Christianity. And so its, it's director um, is, is Mark Shaw, uh, who's, who's a historian. And so it has, it has a historical you know, bent to it. Uh, but it is, it is very much a multidisciplinary. And so there's several of us who have come from that um, one, you know, one of the more better known students, former students, is Wanjiro Getau, uh, who okay. is uh, who is in the social sciences. She's a sociologist, uh, who, you know, who incorporates quite a bit of anthropology in her writing, uh, and recently wrote a book, uh, "Mega Churches Reconsidered," uh, looking at world Christianity, looking at African uh, urban Christianity, a particular strand of African urban Christianity. Uh, from a from a sociological perspective, 
Um, and so, yeah, so the, we are like, I came in with a, with a church pastoral and management science perspective. And, uh, and still I'm attached to them, uh, to the Center for World Christianity as, as an associate researcher. When did you finish your PhD? I finished my PhD in 2017. Okay. Uh, yeah, the 2017 graduated. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Um, and you've talked about uh, your work in the church. Yes, yes. And how it, it then shapes your, your PhD. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you say a bit more about that? Yeah, so after, after, studying, after studying management in, in undergraduate, uh, I felt the call to join, uh, to join church ministry and I was already involved in, in a Pentecostal church uh, in Nairobi. And so, you know, I, I joined, I joined the church and joined the staff and, and began working, working there on the pastoral team and have been since, uh, for a couple of decades now. Uh, my role initially, my entry uh, into the church initially was in the, uh, man- management or putting together of, of the Sunday experiences, the Sunday worship experiences. Uh, and that had to do with a bit of my, you know, management science background as well as my music background, because uh, that also somehow has a, play, a place in, in in my in my history. And so, um, so I joined in that in that uh, in that capacity. And after working for several years, it became clear to me that I wanted to engage a little bit more with young people, what what I like to call the next generations. And, and that led me to church planting. And so, you know, having joined the church, uh, you know, was involved in... A, and this a is Mavuno, of, right? This is, I joined the, the Nairobi Chapel. The Nairobi Chapel planted Mavuno. I joined the Mavuno planting okay. team uh, and planted uh, a church within Mavuno very early in the life of Mavuno uh, in 2006. And then... Uh, in 20, uh, tw- 2009, 2010, uh, then joined uh, a team, a senior leadership team, now not as a church planter, but as a facilitator of church planters. And so, and that, I did that, you know, for a number of years. I did that for five, six years and, and um, you know, stepped out of that and let the next generation pick up uh, that responsibility of, of training church planters. And so I'm now still involved with the church as a pastor at large, uh, still giving capacity in terms of, uh, you know, theological training, uh, in terms of mentoring church planters, uh, and, and, you know, strategic roles, uh, that, that, uh, that, that emerge. Uh, in addition to just doing normal pastoral work, you know, what pastors do, we, we preach, we pray for people, uh, we pray for children when they are born. We, you know, uh, join people together in marriage. Uh, we grieve with them when, when, when we lose loved ones. Uh, and we answer difficult questions such as COVID-19. Sure. And, and, and walk through life with people. And, and that's a calling sure. of mine, which I combine together with my teaching uh, and, and other academic activities. Say something about your music. Musical yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I, I come from a, from, from a musical family. Uh, my parents love music. My mom, my mom loves music. 
Uh, and so I guess it just got into us, into the six, uh, the six of us. And so I, uh, at an early age, picked up music instruments to play. And uh, through high school, uh, picked up two instruments, um, classical violin and, and piano and uh and carried on with those and uh when i joined university i didn't see myself becoming a professional musician uh but very much wanted to use those gifts uh, within a church context for worship and so i ended up being involved within the church um you know playing playing instruments leading bands writing music doing live worship recordings <laughs> Uh, and uh, later on in life, uh, graduated from from being on the front line of that to be to mentoring musicians, and you know just speaking into their lives and encouraging them uh, to do what uh, what God has called them to do. So I've been involved in many bands, uh, many worship bands, and so on, with many people who have uh, led the music, and most recently being involved with the Q band. Wow. Mm. You wear so many hats. <laughs> well, it's a dynamic life. There's a thread that brings everything together. And, and I think someone listening to, to me may see this as very different things. They're actually all related. Um, I, my passion and, and, and call in life is to see the role of, of Christian faith uh, in the life of the urban African Christian. Um, the young African urban Christian. So that next generation, how, 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 what does, what does Christ mean for them in their life? And so that filters out for me in music to filter out for me in my studies. Uh, that's what I do as a pastor. I focus on that generation. Uh, that's what I do when I'm teaching, uh, in the university. Uh, and that is what I do even when I'm writing, uh, even some of the material that I have written. Um, yeah. Uh, by the way, I saw your blog on, on COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. That was really good. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Sure. Uh, th- thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, every once in a while, I'll write articles uh, for, my, for my blog, uh, radicalimpact.wordpress.com. And it's, it's a way of, of speaking to that generation. So anyone reading that blog uh, will see that they, there's a certain group of people I'm talking to. Sure. And, and, and my core, that's my core, uh, core audience that I'm looking for. Awesome. So let's, let's, let's go back a bit and yeah. talk about your PhD process. Yeah. Um, your, yeah. your research questions, your research methodology, yeah. and your research findings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, of course, you know, when I, when I was clear that I, I wanted to do a PhD, you know, I went and sat down with, uh, with the head of department who, who then became my, my, my supervisor naturally. And there's any number of ways we could have gone about it. Because when you talk about the urban church in Africa, there's many things you can talk about. And uh, the, the work, my understanding of what a PhD is supposed to do, the, the, the PhD is supposed to open a line of inquiry, which you then get yourself uh, involved in, in a, in, a very, in a very disciplined way. 
And so when I came in, I had thoughts and feelings. Sure. Uh, thoughts and feelings about the church, thoughts and feelings about leadership and so on. And and so uh the 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 question that that my supervisor asked is uh, what is it about leadership that is uh, that is problematic or that can be can be distilled into something you can look uh, look into and you know i went and 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 had some some reflection about that and i said the problem the the problem in my mind uh was that uh we have there's a leadership problem in Pentecostal churches. Pentecostals are and charismatic are fastest growing group of, of Christians anywhere in the world. You know, they, they, you know, they, they, they grow many times faster than, than other types of, of Christianity. Uh, but, but in, in Africa, the, the big thing that we have a problem with is the leadership of this, of these communities. That's what we say. You know, we say they, you know, they're bad leaders. You know, their theology is not right. Uh, they are, they are swindling people out of money. Uh, they're doing fake miracles and so on. And, and when you ask people, is it, is it the faith that is wrong? Is it the churches that are bad? Is it the members that are bad? Everyone will, will point and say, the problem is the leaders. And so, uh, so that's the feeling that I had. And so we had to distill that into, uh, something that you can research. It's not enough just to say you feel bad about the leaders. <laughs> that doesn't produce good scholarship. It produces brilliant journalism, but it's, it's, it's bad scholarship. <laughs> but bad scholarship. That's right. Uh, and and so you know, I've I've seen a number of scholarly papers where people are complaining about the leadership, and and uh, that sometimes for me reads more like journalism than it is. <laughs> Sure. That it is scholarship. So anyway, my 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 uh, so so together with my 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 uh, supervisor, we uh, distilled distilled what it was. I sensed the issue was the issue was the leadership, and the issue was how you arrive at leadership in these communities. Okay. How are leaders developed? Because it seems to be a problem. The problem seems to be how what's the formation process for the leaders. That ends up producing, uh, you know, fruit that is not good fruit. Sure. Uh, and so, because once we settled on leadership development as an area of study, everything else for me then fell very quickly. Uh, because I then asked myself, okay, what can I study? I can study the bad leadership, or I can do go the opposite of the grain and say, can I find one or two examples? that we can study of, of community, Pentecostal, co charismatic communities that are able to produce good leaders. And then I study them. And I study their history. I study the, the, these particular leaders. I study, look at their theology. I look at their sermons. I look at their process. Uh, and, and try to find out what is it that they're doing right and uh, so, so that's, that's the approach that I do. So, so in all of that, what I'm doing is that I'm giving you um, a picture of, uh, of, of the, the problem mm -hmm. uh, and, and the research questions, because the problem and the research questions, that's how, the, sure. that's the, um, the trajectory that, that it took. 
and and I I chose to study these communities because uh, you know I distill three communities which are from different histories and uh, and you know used those as as uh, as the study um, study examples case studies I think is what we call them as, mm-hmm. as the case studies and I said. I'm going to do those because those are the reality in the public narrative. There are obviously, you know, churches that are good and that are developing leaders, but in the public narrative, if you open any newspaper on a Monday morning, they tend newspapers on Monday mornings tend to want to focus on <laughs> the negativity of the church, I think. Sure. Uh, and so you're going to see examples, numerous examples of, of, of bad leadership. So, so I said, okay, let me go find some good leaders uh, churches with good, good leaders, good second and third generation leaders. And okay. then I find out what's the process of coming to that. So, the, so that's my problem. That's my research question. Sure. Um, that's, that's how it, it, uh, it, brought it uh, came about. Because of the subject matter, my case studies were not hard to find because they're so few. <laughs> yeah. They stand out. It, yeah, yeah, they just stand out. I mean, Nairobi, you have, you know, what, 10, 10, uh, 10 churches, probably 10, 12 churches, okay. uh, charismatic Pentecostal churches or church families. Let me call them church families. Sure. Where I could trace and say, the, I have a trackable, what do you call it? Uh, like a trackable uh, uh, progression of leadership development. Sure. Um, I mean, there, there are hundreds of good churches, big and small. But the ones that you can go in and are old enough, you know, 20, 25 years, 30 years, are old enough for you to actually see one, two, three generations of leaders, those are fewer. And so, and so that, that helped me uh, narrow down. Because the thing about PhD is that you, uh, I think, so, I forget now that it's my supervisor who said, with a PhD, you take a field of knowledge, you know, like a big, you know, like a big circle. And then you, you slice that, that circle into a thin wedge, uh, you know, a particular area of no- knowledge. Then you take that thin wedge and then you slice it even, <laughs> even more so that you, you can, you know, really just get into uh, in-depth on a very particular uh, thing. People studying the church in Africa don't have to slice so much because there's, there's still so much left to be studied. Sure. Still so much left to be studied. I, I took three churches as case studies. There's a whole bunch of other churches I left. Are you able to mention the three churches? Yes, yes. Yes, sure. definitely. Uh, so so I, I focused on, uh, on the Nairobi Chapel, okay. uh, which, which is a denomination I had left uh, and entered into, into Mavuno, um, still within the same family of churches, same tradition. Uh, I took uh, Crisis the Answer Ministry, which is which is um, uh, what's the Pe- Canadian Pentecostal Assemblies of of God. All right, uh, that's the history. That, that's the history line, but it's now an, actually an indigenous uh, an indigenous uh, co- community. Uh, actually, it's quite large with something over fifteen different congregations uh, spread out all over the country and all over the con- continent. And then, and then I took uh, International Christian Church, which is out of the assemblies, American Assemblies of God. Um, that's the history, that's the missionary history. But again, it's uh, it's part of the Kenyan Pentecostal Assemblies 
of God, which is an indigenous, you know, local denomination. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I took, I took those three uh, and I selected them because all of them have multiple church plants. All of them have multiple generations of leadership. Uh, all of them are no longer being led, are no longer connected uh, in, in any significant way. Uh, with their with their you know founding missionary agencies or you know the, the founding history, sure. uh, and so I found that uh, you know they they would be good case studies. And yeah. what was the process like? Uh, the the methodology itself. How did you? Okay, so I took a case study. I took a case study methodology, sure. and and uh, as as is the case with with uh, with, with a complex subject. Uh, whenever you, when you have a very straightforward uh, subject, then you you have a few more options. Uh, with with uh, with a complex subject, complex multiple subjects. Uh, when you have one, then you see you can you can narrow down. You can use uh, you know uh, particular methodologies, historical methodologies, and so on. Well, when you have three, and then they are all you know fairly complex entities in and of themselves. Uh, then I found that the case study was was uh, was the best. Initially, I had looked at at uh, portraiture, uh, which is like an in-depth de- descriptive uh, methodology. Uh, and you know, I looked at it and I, I thought to myself, well, it's good, but but it will require a lot more in-depth, uh, you know, looking into the thing and in a car- within a locked within its current setting. Sure. Uh, but I, I wanted to look at some some of the historical material. I wanted to look. I, I wanted to look at the organizations organizationally. Uh, you know, use bring in my um, uh, management sciences approach. Uh, and I also wanted uh, to have you know to 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 incorporate stories and to incorporate you know conversations. And so I use the case study methodology, which is a uh, sort of a composite methodology, almost like a little bit like grounded research, but now with case studies. Uh, and so that's, that's what I did. Uh, the, the core of, 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 of my research uh, was in uh, in-depth, in-depth um, interviews that I did. And so I did uh, what, something like what, 30, 30 in-depth interviews, uh, backed those up with questionnaires, and so I did a mass management. Uh, I went and procured uh, a, a management science uh, questionnaire, which then you know we used with the with the, uh, with the respondents. And then I did uh, in-depth interviews, uh, you know, long, you know, asking lots of in-depth questions, probing uh, into into the into the uh, into the issues, talking about leadership development, talking about history, talking about the leader's own personal journey uh, of, of leadership. In some instances, I did multiple interviews where I had to go back and ask the question again. Um, because it's a case study, I also went and did uh, observation. Uh, I, did, I went and did uh, uh, unstructured observation uh, of, of the communities. You know, what does, what does the space look like? What does it tell me about leadership? What do people do? I went to the services you know, what is a service like? Uh, what does that tell me about leadership? Uh, I looked into their materials, what they use to train their leaders. What are those like? Uh, do they have processes? 
and so on. I looked into their constitutions. Uh, I looked for the constitutions and I looked into those. I looked into historical material, which was not even related with the church. So, for example, if a church uh, was registered uh, before independence by non-Kenyans, uh, I, went, I went and found out who are those people that planted the church. Who, who are they as leaders? What, what does that say uh, about uh, about the organization. So I looked at all of that. So it was fairly, fairly broad, but I, but all of those were housed within the case study methodology. Sure. Uh, and the centerpiece of that was the, was the interview, the in-depth interview. How long did this take you? Ah, okay. So, uh, the, the whole PhD together with, with the writing up to the submission of the, of the thesis for examination up to the defense took me three and a half years. Yes, but I'm asking about the, yeah. the actual research itself, the going about looking for materials and da, da da da. Okay. So as soon as I settled, as soon as I settled on 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 the on on the um, topic and uh, managed to to do a preliminary research for the proposal. Sure. I would say it took me about a year, a year and a half. Okay. A year and a half. Uh, gathering the materials and the, and the interviews, that was easy. You know, 30, 30, in, 30 interviews, they all live in Nairobi. Uh, sure. Two of the people don't, don't live in Nairobi. I had phone interviews with them. Uh, so the interviews, you know, not, not okay. you know, that, that didn't take a lot of time. Uh, what took time was gathering all the material around it and then the analysis. The analysis took a while. The analysis took a while. Yeah. The Shall analysis it? and writing. Mm. And the challenges and surprises? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, challenges, uh, of course, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's quite... It's quite something as an African, knowing our hierarchical uh, culture, to 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 go and sit down with with a bishop and ask ask you know the bishops what did not go right in their churches. <laughs> so so that's a cultural there's a cultural thing because uh, in many of our cultures we do not uh, you, you know we, we do not uh, highlight uh, weaknesses. So at least a, a leader cannot. Cannot highlight the weaknesses of his community. Uh, he, he cannot betray his own community to, you know, quote unquote, an outsider. Okay. Um, I mean, that's a little easier for me from the Nairobi Chapel because I'm a child of the, sure. you know, but but it's a little harder uh, from outside. But they were gracious. They were gracious and they they were honest and open about what worked, what hadn't worked, what. Uh, you know, hadn't been tested because, you know, in a way, these are some of, uh, young. So that was, that was a challenge. Uh, another challenge was, uh, writing it up. Okay. Uh, writing, writing, uh, composing as, uh, one of my friends likes to call it, uh, co composing, uh, the, the, the text is, is difficult. And part of it has to do with language. Part of it has to do with time. Uh, I think the African scholar is just faced with certain challenges that are not 
usual for some people in other parts of the world. I mean, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father. That's not different uh, with other people. But I'm also a pastor. The church has has demands on me. Uh, the the uh, my extended family have demands on me, and extended family is really extended. You know, it's 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 my my siblings, it's my cousins, it's uh, it's my wife's siblings, it's my wife's cousins, uh, because we are all tied together in in that community, and so that presents presented uh, some challenges in terms of the time to compose, sit down and compose. Uh, all of this, and then later on, you mentioned on, language before. Before we move on from this, yes. you mentioned language yeah. as well. Can you can you just yeah L- language? Uh, th- that has become very <laughs> very uh, um, obvious to me uh, in, in the last few days as as I have gone on to to write my postdoctoral project uh, because uh, for many of us, English English is a it's a second, third, in my case, fourth language, and and so uh, that the other languages that uh, that I have spoken, uh, one person would say interfere, but uh, I got a better word the other day. Mediate, I mediate my <laughs> my thinking <laughs> and my writing uh, through through you know the thought forms and the concepts. That were there before. I mean, you notice when I introduced myself, I gave my I gave myself a full introduction. Sure. So so um, that that framework of thinking, how I identify myself, my sense of identity, my way of thinking, how I process uh, the realities that come uh, to me, uh, find their way in how I write in, in in my English. So so my English. To someone who speaks a Bantu language, might actually make sense. But someone who doesn't speak that kind of language uh, might find, you know, the sentence construction a little unusual, and and so on. So, uh, so my my thesis was was examined uh, by a non a non African, and so. Okay. Uh, I, I needed I needed to make sure that what I write is clear. Sure. Sure. Uh, and so language that I mean language in that sort of way okay. um, mm, so it's a it's both a challenge but I think it's an opportunity because uh in being able to articulate myself clearly I might be able uh to communicate other thought forms or other sure. uh, concepts uh, to other people who may know wide audience as well mm. brilliant yeah surprises what surprised you in the process? Uh, yeah, um, interesting. Okay, so so when I well, when I started uh, uh, the research, uh, I expected to find that that it is it is a particular process that produces leaders. So I was expecting, you know, I, I was expecting a very uh, you know, some sort of magic bullet uh, that that I would find that was common in all these three communities. I didn't. It was uh, what I found were ways of, of of thinking and ways of articulating leadership. So, so the the my findings. When you look at my findings, you will not find uh, a common formula. 
Okay. What you find are are uh, ways of thinking. So okay. so for example, intentionality. So intentionality uh there was intentionality in all the three different churches, but how the intentionality played out was different in all of them. So that was surprising for me. Um I was surprised by the um the power of relationships to produce leaders that that surprised me i i i was i went in look expecting to find a process uh, or find a particular curriculum um i was surprised i shouldn't be surprised as an african because everything is is relational here sure. but but i was surprised as a researcher because it just became clear uh out of the the i think almost 30 people that i interviewed out of all of them 100% of them depended on a on a particular relationship or set or relation of relationships that brought them to be who who they are and where they are and the kind of leaders that they are and and by relationships um what what are you talking about i'm talking about uh, uh intentional uh leadership mentorship relationships Okay so yeah. this is this is not this is not blood relationships that you're talking about no. it's not, it's not no, no, no 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 I'm not talking about kinship I'm talking about uh, I'm, I'm okay. talking about uh mentorship relationships okay all right so so uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned that I mean uh many of them there a number of them had kinship relationships which acted as mentor mentor relationships but that was that was in the minority uh many of them became the leaders that they are you know looked looked who are looked up to in society and who have brought up other leaders um across ethnic lines across you know uh, uh sometimes even across denominational lines um people who uh, who demonstrated what I'm talking about intentionality sure so so I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a, a, an example I'll give you uh the example of uh one of the one of the people um a pastor Andy Mboro Andy Mboro um i think he now lives in the UK he, uh, uh, i think as a church planter uh studying at the uh, Oxford Center for Mission Studies uh he uh very interesting uh he he was intentionally discipled by Albert Outa uh they're from different which uh, denomination uh, is this This, this is Nairobi Chapel now I'm talking about. Okay. Andy Mboro Nairobi Chapel sure. uh and Andy Mboro uh mentored by Albert Outa. Mm-hmm. Uh Albert Outa different ethnic group uh you know different generation uh you know he's, he's, right. he's a, yeah in and um uh no contact in college uh they they met together in Nairobi when Andy Mboro is a young man and he's mentored he's prayed into ministry literally you know and, and they spend time together they live together with him uh now albert outa is mentored by um janet janet mutinda and ja- again different ethnic group you know different contact different generation uh again you know they dif- live in lived in different cities they meet together at this church intentional mentorship happens and albert outa is brought uh, uh into ministry and prayed into ministry by janet uh, janet mutinda different gender you know wow. this is you know someone else 
Janet Mutinda mentored intentionally, you know, the first or second interns in the internship program at the Nairobi Chapel, uh, mentored and, and, and brought into ministry by Oscar Moreau, the bishop of, of the ministry. So four generations. Four, four generations. Uh, and, so, and, and so for me, that intentionality of relationships, and I see it in all the different, all the different uh, churches, and it starts with uh, a leader of integrity sort of sure. producing you know, other leaders of integrity after them you know, with very high standards uh, and, and, and a very strong intentionality and, and uh, pastoral concern. Uh, over the leader. So that, that for me was a surprise. I, it, it, it was a surprise. You talk about intentionality. Yeah, yeah. That's one of your key findings. Yeah, it's one of my key findings. So what are the other findings? Yeah, so one was intentionality. The other one uh, was, was uh, re- relationships. Another one that I found, uh, which was something I expected to find, uh, was, was um, a, a structure. So, so uh, um, an organizational structure, both constitutional and uh, and in terms of management uh, structure, that facilitates uh, leadership development. So, uh, I found that in all these in all these churches, they have some sort of uh, constitutional framework that allows them to have uh, to raise leaders, but also allows for the leaders to be held accountable. Uh, I also found uh, within these uh, particular churches uh, that uh, the church itself uh, already has um, uh, uh, it has a structure that allows for people to to be trained as leaders. So some of them will call them intent internships uh, or, or a trainee program, which is embedded in the way the organization operates. So so a, a leader is expected, let me say the church is expected to raise a generation of interns who are then trained into ministry. And as after they're trained for some time, uh, some of them will go back into, uh, you know, to do other professions and then some of them will stay on uh, for, for ministry. So that was, that was one of the other, uh, one of the other findings Uh, within the programs, within the internship internship programs, uh, I found that they, they they were not uh, laissez faire. They they had uh, very uh, specific uh, programs that they intended, and then they also had uh, particular uh, uh, particular curricular objectives. So you know, when people enter into the internship, they are going to spend a, a li- limited amount of time. When they get to the end, these are the things that they're supposed to have learned. Okay, so. Uh, and, and so Learn, mm. learning outcomes or something like that. Yeah, yeah. There's, there are very specific learning learning outcomes. And then there was also the informal side where the mentorship was very, very big. Uh, where, where there are no specific learning outcomes except that people walk life together. Sure. Another surprise was that uh, Bible verses and, you know, <laughs> things like those, you know, an articulate theology of, of, of leadership. I didn't find, I didn't find that. Uh, the, the theology was in the praxis. It wasn't, there, there was no treatise. None of those churches have a defined theology of leadership or the, defined theology of leadership development. If I ask them, and I did ask them, they don't have a book 
that says this is our theology of leadership, leadership. or this is a uh, you you find it you find it in sermons you find it in conversations you find it in all those different places it is there but it is just not articulated in the way one might expect uh, uh, expect it or want it to be to be articulated is that for lack of writers or is it just the oral no. of, of yeah yeah it's it's a, it's a function of orality yeah I think it's a function of it's a function of the orality. You have said something that I don't want to lose. Mm. You you said uh, when you mentioned the 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 lineage of the four names of mentoring yeah. relationships. Yeah. You said they've been prayed into the ministry. Yes, yes. Prayed into the ministry. Um, yeah. Can can can, can you say something about that? I, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's um you know now that you mention it it's a, it's a, um i think that's an in-house term eh? but but i noticed that it was it, it's an in, it's an in-house it's a pentecostal term uh which have grown up in and uh, and you pardon me for 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 assuming uh, on that one but i noticed that it was it was something that was common in in each of these uh and that is that um, uh the leader uh, who is mentoring a next generation person uh, has a certain measure of intentionality in terms of exercising their own faith for God to raise up leaders. And so the leader considers it their responsibility to ask God for leaders for the movement. And so pr- prayer becomes uh, an important tool in the in the arsenal of leadership development so so that uh you know my own journey i, I was told several people have told me told me when i joined the the team uh, on staff that they had been praying for an extended period of time that god would would uh, you know make clear his call over my life and so that was the same you know for 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 Andy Mboro, he found out that Albert had been praying. In fact, Albert tell, told me himself that he had been praying for Andy. And Andy knows that he was being prayed for. Uh, same thing, you know, talk to Janet. Uh, Janet. Janet tells me that she was praying for Albert uh, to join the ministry. And so Albert knows. Uh, when I talk to, uh, to, to Oscar Moreo, he tells me he, he was praying for particular leaders. And these are the leaders that he prayed for. And they joined. Uh, they joined the team. Uh, one particularly dramatic example is uh, is uh, one of the leaders known as Faith Faith Mogera, who uh, actually you know did the internship and left and went to a different country and lived and studied and worked there. But uh, she, she had been prayed to be this, so she came back and came and joined the movement and felt a sense of call uh, to to join the movement, and so. And the power of of, uh, of of you know spiritual engagement, prayer in the spiritual sure. that's that's a thing that that we Pentecostals are known for, and and seeing how that works. Of course, it's difficult to quantify the the effectiveness of that prayer or to scientifically measure it. I just saw evidence of it, uh, sure. and 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 um, yeah, I, I thought it was significant. You have not mentioned the word anointing in this whole conversation. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, anointing is there. Okay. Uh, anointing, an- anointing is there. But 
uh, anointing is used in uh, certain Pentecostal circles where where the leader sees themselves as having been set apart uh, by God and sees themselves as mediating a particular power uh, on on others. And, and uh, you know, the allusion usually is, is the laying on of hands by Paul, of, of Timothy by Paul, sure. uh, and, and the, the powerful images of, of David being anointed as the king uh, of Israel. Those are things that are, that are normally used. Uh, but in these three churches, uh, it seems to me that uh, God is more the initiator than the man of God who being the, the, being the initiator. Okay. And so when someone, when someone, when, you know, Alberto Uta or Philip Kitoto from ICC uh, joins the team, uh, it is really because God has spoken to them uh, in response to, of course, the intentionality and the prayer and everything. Sure. Uh, but, but God has spoken to them. And so God is the one who, you know, if I'm to paraphrase what I saw, uh, God is the one who anointed the leader and, you know, the the sitting leader or the incumbent or whoever was there just receives the person that God sent to them. Yeah. As opposed to uh, some of the other perspectives where the man of God is the one who carries this magical, sure. you know, power and, and anoints uh, the, the person. That having been said, uh, you know, anointing, anointing and anointing oil are still important symbols in these churches. They're still Pentecostal. And so, you know, people still do get anointed with oil. They get anointed with oil to be healed. Uh, they get anointed with oil, you know, to be uh, when they're when they're being uh, uh, commissioned, which is the equivalent of ordination, uh, and so on. So, uh, so that that does uh, have a role to play, but not in the way that some of the more dramatic, uh, you know, Pentecostal com- communities uh, do it or use it. Mm. Good. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to say about your PhD work before we move on to other subjects? Yeah, I some things I learned. Mm-hmm. So, some some things I learned. Uh, for anyone that's listening to this uh, conversation and is asking themselves what what uh, uh, what are some of the most important things? I think it's important for you to develop your your questions, research questions, and so on. Uh, but I think one of the real challenges, and I'm hoping that uh, a number of people will watch this from, uh, from the continent, is, is to, develop, to develop your thesis, the argument itself. You're, after all, your dissertation is a thesis. It's an argument. Um, I found that uh, um, my, my, my PhD study held together because my supervisor uh, insisted that I develop a, a meaningful argument uh, and, and uh, that could be tested, you know, that could be tested against my findings or against my data. Uh, and so I think a lot of our graduate studies here on the continent, I'm not sure where this came from, but a lot of the, the studies on the uh, graduate studies on the continent uh, seem to have moved more into gathering data and describing it as opposed to, you know, stringing it around or testing it against a particular argument. Uh, 
and and sometimes it may even answer the particular research questions, but it doesn't really make an argument. It doesn't really make a thesis. Uh, it, it doesn't say something, you know. Uh, and maybe that's a. I don't know what that that is a function of, but. But I found that that uh, I, I was able to develop some sort of an argument. In in retrospect, I think it could have been a sharper argument. I think I could have done a, a better job. Uh, the thesis passed, uh, and when I read it, I think I did make an argument. It was tested um, by a scholar coming from outside, and it was it was found to have passed. Uh, but I think. Uh, anyone listening to this must pay attention to that. And you know, there are good resources out there. One of the really good resources uh, is The Craft of Research by Colombet Al. Um, and that's a good, good book. Uh, a second thing is that, that uh, and this one I didn't do a very good job of because my thesis had, had my slice of the thesis was a bit wider than it could have been. It wasn't very, very narrow. Uh, and this is that uh, as you write your thesis, write it to pass your thesis. But remember that you could do a book out of it. So, so write it knowing that they, there's a book that could come, you, you know, after that. Mm-hmm. And and so mine didn't lend itself easily to to publishing after. Uh, and so because I was dealing with with uh, you know Pentecostalism, I was dealing with the history of Pentecostalism. I was dealing with leadership. I was dealing with leadership development. And so for me to write a meaningful book, I need to pick on one of those. Sure. Um, and, and, and that's, that's a lot of work. Uh, but anyone writing a PhD, uh, and I think there are places in Europe that do this very well, uh, write your, your thesis in, in such a way that it can be published. Uh, and, and that, that is very important. I, I want to say that that's very important. Uh, I'm seeing a lot more of that now. I'm seeing some people who are now publishing their thesis uh, from the continent, and that's good. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, and that's a good way to begin to talk about the African Theological Network Press. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so African Theological Network Press is a um, is is a is a is a, an old thought, uh, something that well maybe not that old, but maybe seven six seven years uh, has been uh, you know in in the works thinking through. What does it mean for Africans to produce high-quality theological African uh, uh, material, scholarly material on the continent for Africans, driven by an African agenda, uh, accessible across the continent at affordable prices? And so uh, ATNP brings together all those desires and, and the vision painted by those desires uh, into, into fruition. Uh, it started in earnest in uh, March of 2018, so we just now, you know, two years, uh, two years old, starting our third year, uh, and uh, I, I was invited into into the conversation uh, at around that time, uh, you know, towards the end of 2017 uh, into 2018, and uh, you know, it's something that resonated with what uh, you know what I've always thought about scholarship on the continent, theological scholarship. On the continent, having been invo- involved with a publishing initiative, Acton Publishers, which uh, primarily pu- publishes uh, theological and academic books for for East Africa, and what drew me to ATNP was its Africa-wide vision. And so, ATNP uh, has a perspective of of you know the continent, 
not just in one region. And it sees itself as a network publisher working with communities. If the AT&P itself is, is a coming together of four organizations, uh, um, it's a coming together of, of ACI, Crawford Crystal Institute, a graduate school, uh, graduate theological school in, in Ghana, uh, Miss You Africanas, uh, you know, out of, uh, coming out of the, the UK, uh, um, and, you know, diaspora, diaspora um, empowerment. Uh, and then we have uh, the Jesuit Historical Institute in Africa, which is a historical in research institute uh, coming out of Nairobi, and SPCK, which is you know one of the oldest uh, Christian publishers in the world. And so uh, those those communities come together; those organizations come together to to birth ATNP. Uh, and so that's that, that's um, that's where I spend you know uh, my my working hours in the in the week. Uh, I'm excited about the vision. Uh, this uh, our, our second what is it our second year and uh, second year birthday uh, brought with it some uh, uh, some good birthday gifts uh, because uh, we were then able to publish um, two two books in East Africa. Uh, Jesus in Africa, a Christological work by Kwame Bediako, uh, which has been available in West Africa, but not available in East Africa. We were able to make that available in East Africa. And then we were able to publish uh, The Sacrifice of Africa, uh, which is a, um, a political theology for Africa by uh, Father Emmanuel Katongole, uh, amazing, uh, amazing book that talks about uh, uh, the, the role of political, uh, the role of imagination in the reshaping of, of the Africa of, of the future, and it, uh, it it makes a very strong case uh, for for the Christian community or the church uh, being an agent of this this imagination. Uh, book has been available for for a number of years in the West, not available in Africa uh, yet. It's it's a book for Africa. Sure. Uh, it's a book for Africa in this in this time. So. So that's what ATNP has been doing. So we were able to celebrate uh, in March in the availability of those books in West Africa. Uh, in April, early April, uh, just a few days ago, we were then able to uh, celebrate the availability of, of uh, the sacrifice of Africa in West Africa. Uh, and so that book now is available as soon as the COVID-19 restrictions uh, are lifted. The book will now be available uh, for people to purchase uh, to purchase it. In Ghana, to the best of my knowledge, I don't know that there's any book. Uh, I don't remember a publishing initiative that uh, that uh, was successfully able to launch, you know, within weeks of each other, a book on in two different parts of the continent sure. uh, at at you know at the, within weeks of each other. And so uh, that's something that I'm really uh, I'm celebrating and and really grateful. Uh, grateful to God for because that's uh, that's what we want to see. We want to see Africa united intellectually. We've been divided politically, divided ethnically, divided in terms of our uh, you know colonial histories, uh, and divided uh, intellectually. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, you know theology can can take the lead in uniting Africa back again uh, to uh, in, in terms of our intellectual um, engagement. And, and if somebody is watching this and wondering how they can um, bring their manuscript to be looked at at ATNP, what's what's the process? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, okay. That's 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 a very good question. Very very good question. 
uh, I would want to say, uh, you know, manuscripts uh, are welcome and they are, they are, they are, uh, we, are, we are open for, to receive uh, what, what publishers like to call unsolicited manuscripts. Uh, it's very simple. Visit our website, uh, www.atnpress.com. Uh, and, you know, just click on the, on, on the, uh, author, author, uh, section. And then you, you immediately be able to get the information, uh, that you need, uh, to hand in, uh, your manuscript. Uh, in brief, uh, if you have a manuscript and you want your manuscript published, you will send it to us, uh, in the, within a package that we call the, the manuscript proposal. The manuscript proposal has several essential documents. Uh, again, on the website, if you go to the to the website, it will even uh, you find uh, resource materials and a video that teaches you a little bit about what a manuscript proposal is, what are its components, uh, what what you need to do to bring it together, uh, so that to increase your chances to get published. And so, uh, but basically, you put together a manuscript proposal, which tells us about you, it tells us about uh, your manuscript, uh, and it tells us about, um, you know, how, how your manuscript then will be, will, will contribute to knowledge. Can you name any three African theologians that have shaped your theological world? Yeah. Uh, I think there, there, there are many, there, there are more than, there are more than three, but, uh, I, I, I'm going to have to, to, um, uh, to limit this uh, to, to the three. So, uh, number one, um, Lamin Sane, uh, the late, the late, the late Lamin Sane. Uh, he he didn't necessarily see himself as a theologian, but uh, but he was a theologian. Uh, he saw himself number one as a historian, and uh, and and. Uh, um, the, his 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 articulation of the of the concept of translation, uh, not 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 uh, lit, li, literary trans, translation, but the the concept of translating the gospel into uh, a, 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 com, a community or society, uh, together with Andrew Walt, of course, for me, uh, those are foundational building blocks of anything. I you know the foundation building blocks of my PhD thesis, uh, the book that I'm writing. Uh, on or the book that you know uh, would be released sometime soon uh, on on urban African urban Pentecostalism uh, translation is center central uh, to that uh, number two Ogbu Kalu okay uh, Ogbu Kalu uh, another historian uh, Ogbu Kalu uh, described. Uh, described African Pentecostalism in terms that I found very uh, uh, very helpful, and, and, and this uh, is in, in his book on African Pentecostalism, or yes, yeah, African Pentecostalism, uh, an, an introduction, sure. uh, uh, and then um, and then several of his his other works are both written and edited. Um, African Christianity and African Story, uh, it's a big big volume uh, sure. in which he wrote a number of papers inside. There are some of them historical, some of them. You know, contemporary, and uh, and you know, he's he 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 had a very uh, what I felt was a was a very balanced 
um, and and very um, helpful uh, reflection on what uh, what African Pentecostalism looks like, looks like, and actually what it is. He de- described it, and I f- I feel uh, that he did that in terms that were hist- both historical and 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 theological in my in my view. Uh, a lot of his his writing uh, will reflect on the theology of the movements uh, in relation to its history, uh, and that, of course, you know, other people picked up after that. Nini Wariboko and um, people like uh, like uh, Kwabena, Samoa Jadu, uh, and others, Sefa uh, Somenyo, uh, and and so on, um, uh, and even others like uh, like Filomena Maura. Uh, from for, from East Africa, who have been writing on on Pentecostalism as well, and Philomena is also a th- is a theologian, so you know she also gives some good perspectives uh, and includes gender perspectives in that. So Ogbukalu, and number three, uh, I don't think the list would even start or be complete without uh, without uh, uh, the late John Beatty. Uh, jo- John Beatty uh, frames categories. Um, c- categories for us to begin to reflect on about religion in Africa, and and I think that that his contribution is very important because uh, when you read his book, for example, Af- African uh, philosophy, um, African religions and philosophy, uh, wh- when you read um, you know some of his subsequent works, uh, what you're going to find is that he did not constrain himself to the categories. Of theological categories of of uh, uh, you know of the traditions that you are trained in, and so in his book you will find a section on family, you know. <laughs> and so family is not doesn't generally feature in systematic theology theology books, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, family and how family uh, uh, you know plays itself out in terms of religion. Uh, the metaphysical, the real world, the unseen world, the benevolent spirits, the malevolent spirits, you know, uh, all of that. Those categories I, I find, uh, and that way of thinking, um, is, I find very, very useful in beginning to frame, um, even our descriptions of, of, uh, of what we are seeing in, in Christianity in Africa today. And I think he started the, the job. And 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 it's up to us to continue. Uh, so those are your three, but I'm going to give you a bonus. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to add a fourth one sure. uh, because because this one is an important one because the contribution of my theological uh, the com- contribution of this man's theological thinking goes way beyond just his writing, and that's my dad. Sure. And and so um, and and uh, for for my dad, I think I. I I normally say I, I don't go to my dad for for his writing in the 1980s and 1970s mm-hmm. uh, about uh, you know African culture and and, and religion. Uh, I think you know at the time he was writing, uh, you know there there are others who who uh, who articulated the issues. I think he he made his contribution there, but I think his biggest contribution is is in uh, what what we now call the theology of, of reconstruction and and. As I see it, his argument was that Africa needed to begin to find a new way uh, to think about about Christianity, to think about religion in a post uh, uh, post Iron Curtain world. 
and and I think uh, I I think what she was trying to say is that we must begin to think differently about religion uh, outside of the categories that have already been laid uh, for us, uh, and and in terms of uh, of you know our present context. Uh, yeah. So so uh, so that's what I'm going to. And then of course he gave birth to me, and I grew up with the books. And so I read all those books. I read his thesis. And so his Wittgenstein books, his Immanuel sure. Kant books, and all of that, you know, did something. Sure, uh, sure. did something sure. to me. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Anything else that you would want to say? Hmm. Let's see. Um, younger African theologians, or younger, yeah. what? What would I tell them? Yes. I think if, so this is my thinking. If, if you're listening to this and you listen to any other of these podcasts or, or any other of these video um, presentations uh, and, and you are of the kind that is able to make sense to them, God has given you, let me use the Pentecostal term, the anointing uh, to make sense of the conversation that we're having here. Uh, that anointing should not be wasted uh, on, you know, looking for, I don't know, for the, to get ahead in life and, and all of that. I think that's important. We do have existential concerns. Uh, but if you're listening to this and you're in the middle of a PhD, uh, when you finish that PhD, you owe it to the continent. You owe it to the continent to produce something that will advance knowledge for the next generation. Uh, our continent is at a is at an inflection point, and we're going to need you know theologians, Christian theologians, uh, from our persuasion because uh, for many of us uh, we are we have a persuasion where we believe in the in the you know supremacy of Christ. Uh, we have, we have a, an evangelical uh, um, um, approach uh, or worldview. Uh, we have an epistemology uh, that that. Uh, is not skeptical towards religion, uh, and it has been proven through church history, in my view, uh, that that uh, that religion is an important component in scholarship. Uh, you know, look at Islam, look at Christianity, look at you know Eastern religion, look at Confucianism. Um, you know, whichever way you look, uh, religion is not opposed to scholarship. And so, if you're listening to this, you owe it to the continent to produce something that is going to advance knowledge. Uh, and so, you know, write, you know, if you're doing your PhD, if your PhD is the only thing you ever write, write it in such a way that you'll be publishing your book. Um, once you're done with that, for if someone is listening to this and you publish your PhD, you are another book. Uh, you are something. And then go teach, find ways to teach the next generation, mentor somebody, find a younger theologian, uh, sit down with them, let them challenge you. Uh, some of the best, my best thinking has come from um, younger people that I've interacted with who have challenged me, uh, asked me questions, not be intimidated by you know the, the fact that I'm their pastor or anything, uh, but they just ask honest questions, uh, and those questions have inspired me to think. So, uh, and then also don't forget the old people. Uh, you know, the old people have something to say. Uh, they they may be old, but uh, but they they their anointing is still strong. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, you know, find, buy them coffee. Um, sure. If you are in, are in my side, you know, find a, a goat leg and buy them a leg sure. of goat and, and eat together. 
uh, because in that breaking of bread together, uh, there's some useful uh, knowledge that is passed. And even more than that, those older people want to bless us. Um, I've had the privilege of having uh, greats like, you know, my dad pray over me, sure. uh, Magessa speak over me, sure. uh, John Beatty speak over me, sure. uh, you know, all these, you know, great heavyweights, Lamin Sane over breakfast speak uh, words of encouragement over me. Uh, and, and these things count uh, because they've gone before and, and, you know, God will hear their prayers over you. Sure. Sure. Mm. Thank you so mm. much. That's, that's very important. Mm. I, I, I really like that. Um, and and I know that yes, uh, there needs to rise a new generation of African theologians. Yeah, and so yeah. we need to encourage people to write. We need to encourage people have theological discourse that can be turned into something. I am sure someone listening to this today is a greater scholar than I will ever be. Sure. And so you know, there's a book hidden in you. Get it out, you know, and just <laughs> write it. Yeah. A, all right. Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, thank you. Excuse.